Chapter Six of Ravensdene Court by J. S. Fletcher. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Secret theft. I handed the telegram back to the police inspector with a glance that took in the faces of all three men. It was evident that they were thinking the same thought that had flashed into my own mind. The inspector put it into words. This, he said in a low voice, tapping the bit of flimsy paper with his finger, this throws a light on the affair of this morning. No ordinary crime, that, gentlemen. When two brothers are murdered on the same night, at places hundreds of miles apart, it signifies something out of the common. Somebody has had an interest in getting rid of both men. Wasn't this Noah Quick mentioned in some paper you found on Salter Quick, I asked? An envelope, replied the inspector. We have it, of course. Landlord, so I took it to mean, of the Admiral Parker, Holloway Street, Devonport. I wired to the police authorities there, telling them of Salter Quick's death, and asking them to communicate at once with Noah. Their answer is this. It'll be at Devonport that the secret lies, observed Mr. Cazalet suddenly. Aye, that's where you'll be seeking for news. We've got none here about our affair, remarked the inspector. I set all my available staff to work as soon as I got back to headquarters this forenoon, and up to the time I set off to show you this, Mr. Raven, we'd learned nothing. It's a queer thing, but we haven't come across anybody who saw this man after he left you, Mr. Middlebrook, yesterday afternoon. You say he turned inland, towards Denwick, when he left you after coming out of Clague's place. Well, my men have inquired in every village and at every farmstead and wayside cottage within an area of ten or twelve miles, and we haven't had a word of him. Where did he go? Whom did he come across? I should say that's obvious, said I. He came across the man of whom he heard at the Mariner's Joy, the man who, like himself, was asking for information about an old churchyard in which people called Netherfield are buried. We've heard all about that from the man who told him, Jim Gelthwaite, the drover, replied the inspector. He's told us of his meeting with such a man a night or two ago, but we can't get any information on that point either. Nobody else seems to have seen that man any more than they've seen Salter Quick. I suppose there are places along this coast where a man might hide, I suggested. Caves now, put in Mr. Cazalet. There may be, admitted the inspector. Of course I shall have the coast searched. Aye, but you'll not find anything now, affirmed Mr. Cazalet. Yon man, that Jim the drover told of, he might be hiding there, or there in a cave, or some out-of-the-way place, of which there's plenty in this part, till he did the deed, but when it was once done he'd be away. The railway's not that far, and there's early morning trains going north and south. "'We've been at the railway folk at all the near stations,' remarked the inspector. "'They could tell nothing.' It seems to me, he continued, turning to Mr. Raven, and nodding sidewise at Mr. Cazalet, that this gentleman hits the nail on the head when he says it's to Devonport that will be turning for explanations. I'm coming to the conclusion that the whole affair has been engineered from that quarter. Aye, said Mr. Cazalet, laconically confident, 
ye learn more about Salter when ye hear more about Noah, and it's a very bonny mystery, and with an uncommonly deep bottom to it. "'I've wired to Devonport for full particulars about the affair there,' said the inspector. "'No doubt I shall have them by the time our inquest opens to-morrow.' I forget whether these particulars had reached him, when next morning Mr. Raven, Mr. Cazalet, the gamekeeper Tarver, and myself walked across the park to the wayside inn to which Salter Quick's body had been removed, and where the coroner was to hold his inquiry. I remembered, however, that nothing was done that morning beyond a merely formal opening of the proceedings, and that a telegram was received from the police at Devonport, in which it was stated that they were unable to find out if the two brothers had any near relations. No one there knew of any. Altogether, I think, nothing was revealed that day beyond what we knew already, and so far as I remember matters, no light was thrown on either murder for some time but I was so much interested in the mystery surrounding them that I carefully collected all the newspaper accounts concerning the murder at Saltash and that at Ravensdean Court, and pasted the clippings into a book, and from these I can now give something like a detailed account of all that was known of Salter and Noah Quick previous to the tragedies of that spring. Somewhere about the end of the year 1910, Noah Quick, hailing evidently from nowhere in particular, but equally evidently being in possession of plenty of cash, became licensee of a small tavern called the Admiral Parker, in a back street in Devonport. It was a fully licensed house, and much frequented by seamen. Noah Quick was a thick-set, sturdy, middle-aged man, reserved, taciturn, very strict in his attention to business, a steady, sober man, keen on money matters. He was a bachelor, keeping an elderly woman as housekeeper, a couple of stout women servants, a barmaid, and a potman. His house was particularly well conducted. It was mentioned at the inquest on him that the police had never once had any complaint in reference to it, and that Noah, who had to deal with a rather rough class of customers, was peculiarly adept in keeping order. One witness, indeed, said that having had opportunities of watching him, he had formed the opinion that Noah, before going into the public house business, had held some position of authority and was accustomed to obedience. Everything seemed to be going very well with him and the Admiral Parker, when in February 1912 his brother, Salter Quick, made his appearance in Devonport. Nobody knew anything about Salter Quick, except that he was believed to have come to Devonport from Wapping or Rotherhithe, or somewhere about those Thames-side quarters. He was very like his brother in appearance and in character, except that he was more sociable and more talkative. He took up his residence at the Admiral Parker, and he and Noah evidently got on together very well. They were even affectionate in manner toward each other. They were often seen in Devonport and in Plymouth in company, but those who knew them best at this time noted that they never paid visits to, nor received visits from, any one coming within the category of friends or relations. And one man, giving evidence at the inquest on Noah Quick, said that he had some recollection that Salter, in a moment of confidence, had once told him that he and Noah were orphans, and hadn't a blood relation in the world. 
according to all that was brought out matters went quite smoothly and pleasantly at the admiral parker until the fifth of march nineteen twelve three days it will be observed before i myself left london for ravensdean court on that day salter quick who had a banking account at a plymouth bank to which he had been introduced by noah who also banked there cashed a cheque for sixty pounds that was in the morning in the early afternoon he went away remarking to the barmaid at his brother's inn that he was first going to london and then north noah accompanied him to the railway station as far as any one knew salter was not burdened by any luggage even by a handbag after he had gone things went on just as usual at the admiral parker neither the housekeeper nor the barmaid nor the potman could remember that the place was visited by any suspicious characters nor that its landlord showed any signs of having any trouble or any extraordinary business matters everything was as it should be when on the evening of the ninth of march the very day on which i met salter quick on the northumbrian coast noah told his housekeeper and barmaid that he had to go over to saltash to see a man on business and should be back about closing time he went away about seven o'clock but he was not back at closing time the potman sat up for him until midnight he was not back then and none of his people at the admiral parker heard any more of him until just after breakfast next morning when the police came and told them that their employer's body had been found at a lonely spot on the bank of the river a little above saltash and that he had certainly been murdered there were some points of similarity between the murders of salter quick and noah quick the movements and doings of each man were traceable up to a certain point after which nothing whatever could be discovered respecting them as regards noah quick he had crossed the river between keyham and saltash by the ferry-boat landing just beneath the great bridge which links devon with cornwall it was then nearly dark but he was seen and spoken to by several men who knew him well he was seen too to go up the steep street towards the head of the queer old village there he went into one of the inns had a glass of whisky at the bar exchanged a word or two with some men sitting in the parlour and after a while glancing at his watch went out and was never seen again alive his dead body was found next morning at a lonely spot on an adjacent creek by a fisherman like salter he had been stabbed and in similar fashion and as in salter's case robbery of money and valuables had not been the murderer's object noah quick when found had money on him gold silver he was also wearing a gold watch and chain and a diamond ring all these things were untouched as if the murderer had felt contemptuous of them but here again was a point of similarity in the two crimes noah quick's pocket had been turned out the lining of his waistcoat had been slashed and slit his thick reefer jacket had been torn off him and subjected to a similar search its lining was cut to pieces and it and his overcoat were found flung carelessly over the body close by lay his hard felt hat the lining had been torn out this according to the evidence given at the inquests 
and to the facts collected by the police at the places concerned was all that came out there was not the slightest clue in either case no one could say what became of salter quick after he left me outside the mariner's joy no one knew where noah quick went when he walked out of the saltash inn into the darkness at each inquest a verdict of wilful murder against some person or persons unknown was returned and the respective coroners uttered some platitudes about coincidence and mystery and all the rest of it but from all that had transpired it seemed to me that there were certain things to be deduced and i find that i tabulated them at the time writing them down at the end of the newspaper clippings as follows one salter and noah quick were in possession of some secret two they were murdered by men who wished to get possession of it for themselves three the actual murders were probably two members of a gang four gang if a gang and murderers were at large and if they had secured possession of the secret would be sure to make use of it out of this arose the question what was the secret something i had no doubt whatever that related to money but what and how i exercised my speculative faculties a good deal at the time over this matter and i could not avoid wondering about mr cazalette and the yew hedge affair he never mentioned it i was afraid and nervous about telling him what i had seen nor for some time did he mention his tobacco-box labours indeed i don't remember that he mentioned them directly at all but about the time that the inquests on the two murdered men came to an end i observed that mr cazalette most of whose time was devoted to his numismatic work was spending his leisure in turning over whatever books he could come across at ravensdean court which related to local history and topography he was also studying old maps charts and the like also he got from london the latest ordnance map i saw him studying that with deep attention yet he said nothing until one day coming across me in the library alone he suddenly plumped me with the question middlebrook said he the name which that poor man mentioned to you as you talked with him on the cliff was netherfield netherfield said i that was it netherfield he said there were netherfields buried hereabouts he asked just so in some churchyard or other i answered what of it mr cazalette he helped himself to a pinch of snuff as if to assist his thoughts well said he presently and it's a queer thing that at the time of the inquest nobody ever thought of inquiring if there is such a churchyard and such graves why didn't you suggest it i asked i'd rather find it out for myself said he with a knowing look and if you want to know i've been trying to do so but i've looked through every local history there is and i think the late john christopher raven collected every scrap of printed stuff relating to this corner of the country that's ever left to press and i can't find any reference to such a name parish registers i suggested ay i thought of that he said some of them have been printed and i've consulted those that have without result and middlebrook i'm more than ever convinced that yon dead man knew what he was talking about 
and that there's dead and gone netherfields lying somewhere in this quarter and that the secret of his murder is somehow to be found in their ancient tombs ay he took another big pinch of snuff and looked at me as if to find out whether or no i agreed with him then i let out a question mr cazalet have you found out anything from your photographic work on that tobacco-box lid i asked you thought you might much to my astonishment he turned and shuffled away i'm not through with that matter yet he answered it's progressing i told miss raven of this little conversation she and i were often together in the library we often discussed the mystery of the murders what was there really on the lid of the tobacco-box she asked anything that could actually arouse curiosity i think mr cazalet exaggerated their importance i replied but there were certainly some marks scratches which seemed to have been made by design and what she asked again did mr cazalet think they might mean heaven knows i answered some deep and dark clue to quick's murder i suppose i wish i had seen the tobacco-box she remarked interesting anyway that's easy enough said i the police have it and all the rest of quick's belongings if we walked over to the police station the inspector would willingly show it to you i saw that this proposition attracted her she was not beyond feeling something of the fascination which is exercised upon some people by the inspection of the relics of strange crimes let us go then she said this afternoon i had a mind myself to have another look at that tobacco-box mr cazalet's hints about it and his mysterious secrecy regarding his photographic experiments made me inquisitive so after lunch that day miss raven and i walked across country to the police station where we were shown into the presence of the inspector who in the midst of his politeness frankly showed his wonder at our pilgrimage we have come with an object said i giving him an informing glance miss raven like most ladies is not devoid of curiosity she wishes to see that metal tobacco-box which was found on salter quick the inspector laughed oh he exclaimed the thing that old gentleman what's his name mr cazalet was so keen about photographing why i don't know i saw nothing but two or three surface scratches inside the lid has he discovered anything that i answered is only known to mr cazalet himself he preserves a strict silence on that point he is very mysterious about the matter it is his secrecy and his mystery that makes miss raven inquisitive well remarked the inspector indulgently it's a curiosity that can be very easily satisfied i've got all quick's belongings here just as they were put together after being exhibited before the coroner he unlocked a cupboard and pointed to two handles one a large one was done up in linen the other a small one in a wrapping of canvas that he continued pointing to the linen-covered package contains his clothing this his effects his money watch and chain and so on it's sealed as you can see but we can put fresh seals on after breaking these very kind of you to take so much trouble said miss raven 
all to satisfy a mere whim the inspector assured her that it was no trouble and broke the seals of the small carefully wrapped package there neatly done up were the dead man's effects even down to his pipe and pouch his money was there notes gold silver copper there was a stump of lead pencil and a bit of string every single thing found upon him had been kept but the tobacco-box was not there i-i don't see it exclaimed the inspector how's this he turned the things over again and yet again there was no tobacco-box and at that evidently vexed and perplexed he rang a bell and asked for a particular constable who presently entered the inspector indicated the various properties didn't you put these things together when the inquest was over he demanded they were all lying on the table at the inquest we showed them there i told you to put them up and bring them here and seal them i did sir answered the man i put together everything that was on that table at once the package was never out of my hands till i got here and sealed it sergeant brown and myself counted the money sir the money's all right observed the inspector but there's a metal box a tobacco box missing do you remember it can't say that i do sir replied the constable i packed up everything that was there the inspector nodded a dismissal when we were alone again he turned to miss raven and me with a queer expression that box has been abstracted at the inquest he said now then by whom and why end of chapter six